Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Wildlife for You podcast. This is coming to you from Utah. I am Daryl Radajek. I'm a wildlife biologist that has been doing wildlife education, a lot of bear education stuff for a number of years under this Wildlife for You platform. And one of the things we do is this podcast. And so my partner in crime here is... <laughs> Meg, why don't you introduce, just tell us where you're at. Uh, well, I am in Tennessee, real close to the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. Good deal. Yeah, Meg is my right-hand woman on this podcast because she loves wildlife. I love wildlife. Um, me being in the field, uh, she's often asking me questions, and we just thought, you know what? There's probably a lot of folks out there that have very similar questions to Meg, that hopefully we can begin to answer some of those questions for some folks that really just absolutely love wildlife, but just want to learn as much as they can about them. So one of the things we've been talking about over the last few episodes is Great Smoky Mountain National Park, because that's where Meg is at. That's where I did a lot of my earlier, um, spent a lot of time earlier in my career working with bears. And so Meg sent me a, a whole bunch of questions about bears specifically about bears, that we said, you know what, let's just dedicate this next podcast to talking mostly about bears and bear behavior and bear biology. And so that's what we plan on doing. So bears over in your neck of the woods are, are coming out of their hibernation right now, aren't they, Meg? Yes, they are. And, um, you know, Dara, I spend a lot of time in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and uh, I'm an avid hiker, so I spend a lot of time hiking, and I have seen numerous black bears. We've talked about that before, but they are starting to come out. Now we're seeing, we're actually, we've been seeing the yearlings with their mom, but we're now starting to see the cubs of the year come out with their moms. So that's really. You know, you know what? I, since you brought that up, we, we're we're notorious for going on these side tangents, folks. <laughs> yeah, just. Hang with you us. Mentioned, <laughs> you mentioned about the yearlings coming out, but now the cub of the year, the cubs of the year are coming out. Yep. There's there's been a lot of sightings from many people, and it's totally understandable where they'll see the first female with some younger offspring with her, and they automatically assume that those are this year's cubs. When in many situations, especially if it's earlier in the year, when you see a mother with these other smaller bears. Most of the time, those are yearlings. Mm -hmm. And believe it or not, folks, depending on the food resources that were available, some of those yearlings can be very, very, very small. There was, I don't know if you saw it, Meg, but there was a, a video recently of a little tiny bear cub in Georgia that was on someone's porch eating out of a food bowl, which was unfortunate. But everyone was talking about this year's cub. It, it was tiny, but I can almost guarantee you that was a yearling mm -hmm. uh, just based on the head shape and everything. Um, so you can have yearling, yearling bears, like over a year old that only weigh 10 pounds, yeah. which is pretty darn small. It is. So at this time of the year, you, you probably know this, but those, those <laughs> cubs that were just recently born, they're only going to be about five pounds maybe between five to mm -hmm. ten pounds but they they have a much different look to them their heads aren't fully developed whereas a yearling bear kind of has more of a typical bigger bear head 
Um, but we're finally seeing those cubs make their presence known in many areas of the country, especially in Great Smoky Mountain National Park. Yes. So more and more people are seeing this year's cub. Right. This year's cubs show up. Yes. We've seen, we, like I said, we uh, have, or I've heard of a few uh, in the park and seen a few pictures that um, various people have shown me, of, and they are the cubs of the year. But then before that, we were really seeing the yearlings. And I was entering the park one early one morning uh, last week, I believe it was, and I saw a mom and her two yearlings with her. And this was a, a back road that's not into the parts, not used very much. So I stopped the, my car and backed up. And they were they were in the woods, but they were just off the edge of the of the road. And I rolled the window down, just watched them for a while, just forging. And then I spoke because I just kind of wanted to see how they would react. I spoke to them, and they did exactly what they should have done. Right up the tree. They ran. They they oh, went back okay. into the cover of the woods. They were kind of out of the edge of the woods a little bit between the woods and the road. And so as soon as they heard my voice, they took off. I was like, good. Yeah, that, that is a great reaction. That, yeah. that is the reaction we want yes. to see out of the wild bear. Exactly. Now, I will tell you that brings something up. Um, whenever you're dealing with national parks that have a really high visitation rate, so, for example, the Great Smoky Mountain National Park, Yellowstone, Yosemite, um, what happens with so many people that are coming to visit really good bear country is those bears begin to get used to being around people. Mm -hmm. And we call that habituation. Mm -hmm. Now, a lot of people think habituation is a very negative behavior for a bear. And that's not necessarily the case because habituation, if you break down the root word, it's it comes from habit. So it becomes a habit for these bears to see people. And so oftentimes habituated bears, kind of, they're so used to seeing people, mm -hmm. they ignore them. They don't pay any attention. And that's okay. That, that's still good bear behavior. Where you start getting into bears exhibiting some not so good behaviors is when they become food conditioned. When that bear begins to equate people with hey, I can get something to eat from these people, mm -hmm. whether or not it's trash or handouts or anything like that. But a bear that you see that like doesn't run away right away, it could simply be it's habituated. It sees people mm -hmm. every day because it lives mm -hmm. in the cove. So it's not necessarily a bad thing <clears throat> if they don't run, but seeing a bear run as soon as it hears your voice that bear is a truly wild bear that's going to live yeah. a long, healthy bear life. Yes, usually. I was glad to see them run. Uh, and yeah. and I've got a list of questions for you. I'm going to put my glasses on any second now and start reading them and sure. start asking them. But one of the things we will talk about, I want to mention and have you talk about, uh, is what do we do when we see these bears out in the wild or we see them in our neighborhoods? Um, and how can we help protect them because if you and I have talked about many times, our behavior may be what saves their life or ends their life, unfortunately. So we, you know, we'll talk about that when we get to that list. But um, so I just kind of made a list of uh, things that I have heard as I have talked to people um, throughout the park and um, that I've encountered some questions that I have heard and different people have wondered about. So I thought, well, I'm just going to make a list and ask Daryl. So are you ready? 
Here we go. I am. Okay. That's what I'm here. So one of the, one of the first questions is when is bear breeding season? And should we be worried more about bears during that season? Okay, very good question. Now <laughs> now typically and just so everyone knows, we're we're talking primarily about black bears yes. here. Um because black bears are pretty much found throughout most of North America in almost every single state in some some sizable population. Um, so when we're talking about black bears and their breeding season, that typically takes place around early summer. So usually around June to the beginning parts of July is when the male and the female bear get together to breed. Now, here's the thing. Remember when we started off this podcast, I said there's a lot of female bears out there that have their yearlings with them? Yeah. When the mom is taking care of her cubs, those cubs will stay with her for about a year, a year and a half. And the reason or one of the times that the mom gets pushes her cubs away to be on their own is when she comes into heat again. So she's in a reproductive state where she's going to mate with another another male bear. What she will do, because adult male bears, they're typical brutish males when it comes to finding girlfriends. They, they like to fight and they like to be aggressive. And so if mom is hanging around and she has her her younger yearlings with her and an adult male comes in wanting to breed with her, that adult bear can do harm and could unfortunately could kill mm -hmm. her her yearling cubs. And so as a precautionary <clears throat> reason, especially just so you know, especially her her yearling male cubs, because that adult male will see them as competition. Mm -hmm. um, the adult male might see the yearlings as potential mates, so he might not cause harm to them. But what mom does usually when breeding season is coming around, usually that that early summer time period she will start leaving her yearlings behind and, and kind of even run them off at some point. Uh, so that happens at that point. I will say from a human standpoint, you've got to be a little mindful. It's, it's not all that common that you find an adult male and adult female courting each other when you're out hiking because it's such a short time period. Um, but you do have to be aware. If you see two very large adult bears, it's either two adult males facing off each other for breeding rights, or it could be adult male and adult female. And so you just want to make sure you give them lots of space mm -hmm. because they're going to be doing what they're, they, they want to do. So that's about the time period it takes place. Now, what's really cool is when the male does breed with the female, there's this whole process of delayed implantation, which is that one? That's not my question. <laughs> You're coming out right. Let me go. I'm an expert. So, so when 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 they do breed, do, do you want me to address that? Yeah. Well, my question was how how long does their pregnancy last? And then I, during that answer, I wanted you to talk about the delayed implantation because I just think that's fascinating. I mean, okay. So when you think about it, if they breed in July, and those cubs aren't born because cubs are always born in the middle of their hibernation, usually late January, early February. So you think July, August, September, October, November, December, January, it, it's almost eight months. So they got to be well-developed, but that's not the case. So when they breed in June or July, those eggs are fertilized. 
and, and there could be multiple eggs that get fertilized during that breeding process. But here's the cool thing. Their body pretty much calls a timeout because what do bears do in the wintertime that many other animals don't? Hibernate. Yeah. Their, their body is going to shut down. Yeah. They're, they're, during the wintertime, they're going to slow down. And they're going to expend a lot of those fat reserves that they, they took time collecting. And so what happens is when the female gets bred, her eggs are not going to implant going to implant in the uterus and begin growing until she knows for sure she has enough fat reserves to survive the winter. And so her eggs more or less stay in this suspended animation and they don't grow at all. And they, they stay inside her body up until about October, November, when she's putting on those layers of fat. And then once her body has enough fat to not just survive that long winter time without eating, but also to survive the pregnancy, then those eggs will implant in her uterus and they will start growing. So those eggs literally don't start growing until about November. So then you have, you only have November, December, January, you only have three months and those cubs are born. That is why those bear cubs are this big when they're born. Yeah. Because if, if they were, if they were growing inside mom's uterus for eight or nine months since she was mm -hmm. fertilized, they'd be much, much bigger. But that process in which her eggs don't begin growing, it's called delayed implantation. And so those eggs don't implant and begin growing until her body knows that they can survive not just the pregnancy, but the winter itself. That is so fascinating. I mean, yeah. what an amazing animal, really, when you think about it. Oh, yeah. That's just fascinating. So how often do they have cubs? Is It's not every year, I'm assuming. It's every other no. year. It, and it can be, it can be variable, but a female's body is, I shouldn't say programmed, but it is able to, it, it's, it's a two year cycle. So she will, she will be bred during the summertime. She'll give birth in January or February. And then that whole next year, she's raising her cubs. She's really expending a lot of energy and, and time being a good mom, teaching her cubs how to survive. Mm -hmm. And so that summer in which she has those really tiny cubs, her body is not going to go into heat. It's not going to be reproductive. It's not, she's not going to be looking to breed that, mm -hmm. that summer. Mm -hmm. And so she expends all of her time and energy raising her cubs. Then her cubs go back into the den with her and they emerge as yearlings. But as yearlings, they come, they're, they're big enough to survive on their own. They're, they're no longer dependent on mom. So mom will kick them out. And then if things, if she's healthy enough, she will cycle again and be bred again. So every other year she's able to breed and raise cubs she she spends a year raising the cubs, then she breeds again, spends a year raising cubs. And so it could be a two-year cycle. Now, having said that, a lot of these biological processes depend on the health of the animal. So if she's really underweight, for example, if she was, if she made it in the summertime and then fall comes along and she could not find enough 
food resources, instead of those eggs implanting, those eggs will get reabsorbed by your body. Hmm. And so they, they'll never grow. She'll just kind of recycle those nutrients. Sorry about that, folks. <laughs> <laughs> Commercial break. A little technical difficulty here with someone's internet on someone's end. Don't know if it's mine or Meg's, <laughs> but I was telling everyone about the the cycle in which a, a female bear reproduces. It could be every two years, could be every three years, depending on her health. But one thing, Meg, that I was going to mention is it could be based on the 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 hard mass, the the acorn crop. So yeah. if the acorn crop's not there, that's going to impact her health, which throws things out of kilter. So based on the amount of food that's available, you could have a whole boatload of cubs come springtime. Or if it was a really poor year the previous year, mm-hmm. you could have a year where you don't have many cubs walking out. Right. Right. So on on average, how many uh, cubs are, is she giving birth to that year? Very, very good question. Now, really young female bears that are first starting out, usually they don't start breeding until they're about three, four years old, mm. sometimes even later than that. But usually the first time a female bear will give birth, she usually only gives birth to one cub. Huh? And then as she gets older and more experienced and healthier, hopefully, then she'll give birth to more cubs. On average, she's it, a lot will depend on the, the amount of fat she has or the how healthy she is. Mm. So the healthier she is, the more cubs she'll give birth to. And so it, when she, I should go back, when she mates in the summertime, there's multiple eggs that get fertilized. And so if she's only healthy, healthy enough to sustain one or two cubs, those other eggs get absorbed and she only only one or two eggs implant and grow into cubs. But if she's really healthy, she's really fat and um, can sustain to raise and produce milk for more cubs, she is going to, the more of those eggs will implant and she'll give birth to possibly three, sometimes four. There's even been records of five cubs. Wow. But typically those... More mature, healthier females will usually give birth to two or three cubs. Ah, uh, that's okay. That answered that question. That's good. Um, so what's, you know, we talked about, and, and I know their food source plays a big part of this, but assuming a bear is living in the wild and and not interacting in, in a poor manner with humans and garbage, um, how long is their average lifespan? Wild bears, sadly, I will say that human-caused fatality is the number Mm -hmm. one reason why a bear doesn't live its whole life. Mm -hmm. But you will have wild bears. There's been documented records where female black bears have lived to be upwards in the early 20s. Nowadays, yeah, but but that's usually in a very rare situation. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, with especially with so many people in the East, there's so many more hazards and threats that an old bear would be considered between 10 to 15 years old. It, it's still a fairly long period of time. Most wild animals don't live that long. Right. And so to have an animal live 10, 15 years um, is a pretty good amount of time. Now, females typically live longer than males and that's that's the situation for many species 
<laughs> I'll be the first to admit it. <laughs> and they like fighting. They like doing risky things. Yeah. And so they tend to live shorter lifespans because they are um, less smart than the females. <laughs> I, I'm just, mm, <laughs> it's not saying a word. <laughs> so um, anyway, they, they, they could live. I, up to be like 10, 15 years old. That, that'd be a really old bear. Oh, yeah. um, but oftentimes you, you have things where uh, they get struck by vehicles, uh, just getting habituated. If a bear, be I shouldn't say habituated, if a bear becomes food conditioned mm -hmm. and it starts coming into human developments, there's just so many more added risks. They're likely to get shot by someone for mm -hmm. breaking into mm -hmm. or getting run by dogs or just lots, a lot more hazards involved with food condition bears. So their lifespan is usually much shorter than a truly wild bear. So I'm just curious, how do, how do you tell the age of a bear? Like, you know, when you catch it. Do you really not know? <laughs> I, I, I'm asking you the questions, Dale. Okay. Okay. This, this is, this is great because we, we talk about this all the time. Do you know how to age a tree? If you were to cut a tree down, how do you age a tree? You look at the rings. You look at the rings. Why is that? Why, why are there rings formed on the inside of a tree? Because each year they're adding. What, what, <laughs> what happens each year, you, you have this spring and summer growing season where the trees and all the plants grow tremendously in spring and summer. Then what happens in fall and winter? They go dormant. Yep. And so it creates these layers. You have this this growth period, and then it's dormant for a little while, and then it grows, and then it's dormant. And so you develop these rings. Bears are just like trees in that they will grow tremendously in spring and summer and early fall. And then in wintertime, because they hibernate, they pretty much go dormant. And so what we're able to do, and I don't know who the first person is, but there, there's this place called Matson's Lab. It's in Montana, and they're really famous. There, there's now a couple more labs that do this. But any animal that shuts down in the wintertime, that, well, pretty much hibernates or just does not get a lot of food resources in the wintertime, if you take their tooth, and bears have this premolar. It's a tooth that's right behind their their canines, real small tooth. They don't really use it for much. You can pull that tooth, and then you send it off to the lab. And what the lab will do is they cut tiny, tiny slices. It's a cross section. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like cutting a tree um, right in half. And they make a tiny slice, and then they put that on a microscope, and they can count the rings in the tooth to age that bear. And so they, they get pretty close, usually within a year or so, um, plus or minus one year. But they know if if they have, it's pretty, it's pretty solid to know that you have like a three or four year old bear versus a 15, 16 huh. year old bear because of the number of rings. So, but that process would not work with an animal that does not hibernate. So, you know, it's bison, it's you know. Yeah. So, so like white-tailed deer, you can use it, but it's it's most effective on the deer in the far north, like Canada and northern parts of the U.S., because you understand their winters are so 
much more severe. Mm -hmm. And so in the southern part of the U.S., where they tend to have more to eat during the wintertime, you can't use it on the, it's not as reliable. You can still see faint rings, but there's a lot more room for error. Um, so it's it's when those animals are really stressed in the wintertime that it's really reliable. Huh, that's really interesting. Yeah, because you'll, ha you'll have that period of growth and then a period of months where they're not growing and they're, they're pretty much laying dormant. And it's it's really good for bears because the fact that they pretty much shut down for for a period of time in the winter. Right. Huh. So um, we've talked before about bears hibernation, but this is kind of the opposite end of that scale. During the summer, during a normal day for a bear, when he's not hibernating, how much do they actually sleep? They they they'll sleep quite a bit. I, I love bears. They're my spirit animal because they're lazy. <laughs> they like those gnats. <laughs> well, they all they do primarily is eat and sleep all the time. <laughs> and they have that period where, where during the breeding season. But for the most part, they're just looking for food and, and eating. I will say in the in the heat of the summer, especially in the part of the country you're at where it can be hot, hot. Yeah. Bears are not going to be very active during the day. So they will spend a good amount of time lounging around, sleeping in the shade somewhere. In fact, you'll see a lot of times, I love wildlife photographers, as long as they're really good ethical wildlife photographers that stay far, far away. Um, but they'll capture wonderful pictures of cubs and moms where they're just sleeping in the tree. Yeah. And they'll, they'll wait until... Uh, later in the afternoon, right before dark or early morning, that's where they, they're most active. Yeah. Um, you just answered my next but, question. <laughs> okay, well, so in the summertime, they will spend a lot of time sleeping. But as you progress into the fall, you've probably heard this word. It's a geeky biological term, but hyperphagia. Mm -hmm. That's a term. The bears enter this, this uh, time period called hyperphagia. And it's translated in Greek as a feeding frenzy. And so what that their, their body gets triggered to say, you know what, we got to start eating a whole lot more. We got to put on a whole lot more weight because winter is coming and we got to fatten up. And so at that point, they spend more and more time eating as opposed to sleeping. And they estimate, I, I've heard people say they'll eat for 20, 22 hours a day just to pack on those, mm -hmm. those fat reserves. So that kind of brings me to a little question, and uh, you and I have discussed this a lot. Is is it the temperature that causes the bears to go into hibernation? Is it, you know, because just like you were saying, their body triggers them to really start packing on the food. Does their body trigger them to go into hibernation, or is that related to the weather and temperature? Very well it's you're close you're not there yet if i were to ask you what is today's date april 18th what was the exact same on this day april 18th from this year to last year to 10 years ago to 100 years ago was the temperature always the same on no april 18th? no no was the amount of precipitation was the humidity all those weather factors 
can vary from one year to the next on that specific date. There's only one thing that stays constant from one year to the next, and that is the amount of daylight. It's called photo period. So the amount of sun sunlight that the animal receives, I don't know what exactly it is on this particular day, but say it's 14 hours and 30 minutes. If you go back 10 years from now on this exact date, it was 14 hours and 30 minutes. 100 years ago, it was 14 hours. That's the only thing that stays the same from one year to the next. And so biological processes are usually triggered by this photo period. Mm -hmm. So in other words, their body, and, and they don't think about this, their body just does this. But once you hit a certain point where you're getting the amount of light that it needs, the body will say, okay, it's time where we can start thinking about eating more. So they're by, the, those biological processes are triggered by the amount of daylight. And then those other factors like temperature, weather, barometric pressure, and all that stuff can play secondary roles. Like the, the amount of light will say, okay, we're ready to begin this process. And then the next cold spell that triggers them and they start eating like crazy. Mm -hmm. So everything is based on the amount of daylight because that's the only constant from one year to the next, because you, the reason you don't want it based on those variable constants is what happens if in like June, you get this freakish cold weather and it drops below zero and the bears suddenly start hibernating. It's, right. It, it would throw everything all off kilter. So it has to be based on something that's constant. And the only thing that's constant in their world is the amount of daylight from one year to the next. So that leads me to ask you, what triggers them to come out of hibernation? Well, it's it's still that photo period. Rarely do they ever go into an, <laughs> to an area where they have absolutely, they're not going to go so far into a cave that they have no light whatsoever. You have to understand, a lot of the bears will be, denning inside of trees, especially in your neck of the woods, mm -hmm. um, or these really shallow crevices. So there's still some sunlight that's coming. Um, you, you asked me that, and it's it's hard to explain, but their their body will begin to know. Like if they start burning up all their fat reserves, they got to wake. They're not just going to sleep and die in their sleep. Right. When, when their fat reserves are really getting exhausted, their body's going to wake them up and say, hey, we need more food. And so that starts triggering them when, when they're starting to get really hungry again because they haven't eaten for a couple months. Their body's going to wake them up. Right. And and we've discussed this before, um, but I just wanted you to discuss it again because we, we hear so many mixed things about hibernation with bears and what sends them into hibernation do they really hibernate? And especially in my neck of the woods, you know, you hear that they don't really hibernate. It's only neck of the woods. <laughs> it, it, it's just so you know, it drives me nuts because I I was just, oh, I forget what I was reading today, but it was all about bear black bear hibernation. And and the only place I ever hear where they don't hibernate because it's, too, it's not cold enough, which is complete malarkey, <laughs> is is kind of that southeast yes. area. Which is why I asked you those questions about, is it the temperature that is causing, no. yeah, so, yeah, because. My main thing, yeah. 
if you were to look at your neck of the wood with say Tennessee and Western North Carolina, Eastern Tennessee and Western North mm-hmm. Carolina, where is it colder in the mountains or down low? Go oh, up in the mountains. Yeah. That's where the bears are. And people are saying, Oh, it's not, yeah, it's not yeah, cold. Enough. Yeah. The coldest place in the state. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and just to make that point, Yesterday morning up at Newfound Gap, which Clingman's Dome, which is the highest point in the Grace Monkey Mountains National Park, 24 degrees at 9.30 in the morning. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be hiking well, up to one of those peaks in the morning. <laughs> and the main thing I want to de- debunk, it's temperature does play a role because obviously in the wintertime, but the main reason that animal is hibernating it's not because it's going to be too cold for it. They got a big, thick layer of right. fur because there's no food for them. Right. How many, how many trees are blooming in January and February? There's, <laughs> there's nothing growing at that time. So there's yeah. really no food available for them. So th- their bodies have to shut down. So um, you answered my, one of my questions, my next question already, which is what time of the day are the bears most active? And you kind of answered that already. You you kind of see them more. Active. You, I'm gonna quiz you. Oh gosh. You, what? Okay. <laughs> okay. If an animal is active mostly at night, it's called nocturnal. Mm-hmm. If an animal's active mostly during the day, like a lot of birds, it's called diurnal. Mm-hmm. Do you know what it's called for bears and deer? The the ones that are active at dawn and dusk. It's called crepuscular. Mm-hmm. Total geek term. This <laughs> is <laughs> where me and the other biologists are sitting around <laughs> talking about nerdy terms like this. But animals like bears that are most active during dawn and dusk hours, they're called crepuscular. Okay. And so, yeah. And, and that's a, that's <laughs> like, a spelling right, bee word. I'm just going to say that's a spelling bee word. <laughs> okay. Spell that. Um, moving on to my next question because you answered that one. So um, how good, or maybe even explain a little bit about a bear's sense of smell. How good is their sense of smell really? Really? Really. Um, really their sense of smell is 2,000 times better than Wow. But what does that mean? Means that, it means they can smell that cheeseburger on your shirt yeah, from means, last week. It, it's hard for me to even, what does two 2,000 times better mean? Well, first off, how do they even come up with that number? Well, believe it or not, you can actually come up with a reasonable guess as to why why it's that that much more powerful. Inside of your nose, inside my nose, inside of all mammal noses are these smell receptors. We call them olfactory receptors. So... These tiny little, um, I don't even know what you call them, but these receptors that pick up uh, odors. And so if you were to take a little cross-section of our nose and look, like, say, per square centimeter, you could count how many smell receptors there are, or olfactory receptors. Now, if you take a dog, you can count how many they have. And the average dog, I don't know if your dog is still in the room with me, but the average dog has about 100 times more smell receptors than we do. So it's logical to say they can smell 100 times better. The, which 
dog do you think has the best sense of smell? What kind of the bloodhound? The bloodhound. So a bloodhound has about 300 times more smell receptors than us. The crazy thing when it comes to bears, doesn't matter if it's a grizzly bear, polar bear, black bear, they have about seven times more smell receptors than even a bloodhound. So if you do that 300 times seven, that's 2,100, over 2,000 times stronger than ours. So that's where that number comes from. But if you're like me, it's like, what does that even mean? <laughs> so, so I guess the best the best way to, to describe it is, you know what a can of beans smells like. So you buy a can of beans at the store, you come home, you open up that can of beans, you put it into a pot on the stove. You can finally smell the beans cooking. That's a human sense of smell. It's like, finally right there, we can smell it. The dog, your average dog, could probably smell you cooking the beans, even though the dog's outside. They could they could detect that. Then you look at the bloodhound, and the bloodhound, even before you open that can of beans, could probably smell some faint traces of it on maybe the wrapper. or It knows there's beans in that can. The bear, on the other hand, can smell the perfume on the lady that put the beans in the can. And so, yeah, you're like... Your, your head explodes and you're thinking well how can a bear if it's if it could smell everything in that detail it's its mind would be scrambled because it's all these smells are out there have you ever been to a Chuck E. cheese yes okay well you've been there for any listener that hasn't it's a would you say it's noisy in there yes <laughs> yeah it, it's it's kind of like a it's a restaurant arcade with so many arcade games and kids screaming Kid, and bells yeah. and, <laughs> and sirens. You walk in and your ears are bombarded with all these sounds, sirens, bells, whistles, kids, you, you name it, You, it, it's going on. But you go in there and you order a pizza and you sit down at the booth and you're having fun watching your kids and you're getting bombarded with these sounds and all of a sudden you hear Meg, your pizza is ready. <laughs> and you just go up and go get your pizza. Because your brain has this uncanny knack of filtering out noise. It, the things that don't you don't need to pay any attention to, your brain kind of just puts it in the side. But then as soon as that pizza is ready, which your brain really needs, <laughs> it, will, it, it hears that. And then you can go respond appropriately. So I always say when a bear wakes up in the morning, I promise you it could smell the the blackberries that are ripening on the bush half mile down the road or it could it could smell the honey that's in the bee's nest high up in the oak tree it could it could smell those grubs that are growing under the log by the stream but then it smells it smells that thing that's that's really tasty and calorie rich it smells those hot dogs and hamburgers that are cooking on the grill yeah. And so a bear, remember, bears are designed to eat. So they're going to go for that that food that gives them the most bang for the buck. And unfortunately, a lot of times it's people food. Mm -hmm. So that's why sometimes bears and humans are on this crash course. We smell like we've got some really good foods for them to eat. Yeah. And they go looking for it. So, you know, we always talk about when in the park to lock your vehicles. Um, because there have been numerous reports of bears 
opening the car doors. They're, they're very smart. Um, you know, and I will hear people say, well, I didn't have anything in my car. I didn't have any garbage in my car. And I'm like, did you have any food in your car three days ago? Yeah. You know, <laughs> because you guess what? Ever underneath your car seat and you find those front yeah. yeah. you, you drop a week earlier. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I always tell people that I encounter to be sure when you're out hiking or leaving your car for a while to be sure and lock it. Not, not just for the people, but for the bears. So, um, and that kind of leads us into a little bit about, um, what do we do? You know, what's, how do we stay safe when we encounter bears? If, um, you know, I hike a lot and I've, I have encountered, I quit counting my bear encounters at 17. I, I'm probably in the mid twenties now as to that many different bears I have encountered on that many different trails throughout hiking. I'm not talking about the ones I see on the road. Like I saw the other morning and I yelled, I, I talked to him out my window, but, um, so, you know, what, how are we safe? What should we do around bears? And then also, you know, um, not everyone hikes, not everyone's going out into the woods. So they may think, yeah, I'm not, might not see a black bear, but they're becoming more and more popular in neighborhoods. You know, I, I know even in the Knoxville area, um, I, and I have a good friend who had, they had a bear in their neighborhood and they live right in the middle of town in the subdivision. And we've had them reported in our area showing up in neighborhoods. So, you know, talk a little bit about what do you do for bear safety out on the trail? And then what kind of things can you do if you encounter a bear in your neighborhood? What can you do and how can you keep that from happening? We've hit on that a little bit, but hit a little more. <laughs> Well, when it comes to how you should react with a bear encounter, and let me describe or explain an encounter first and foremost. An encounter with a bear is when you are close enough to that bear that the bear notices you and change their yeah. their behavior, or that bear is going to cause you to change your behavior. It, it's you're close enough. So if if you're standing on top of um, Mount LeCount and you see a bear like a mild <laughs> a mile down <laughs> in the valley, that's not really an encounter, that's a sighting. Right. So, um, an encounter is when you're close enough to alter each other's behavior. So usually that means you're pretty darn close to a bear. And so I will say there there's some guidance that has been given from different agencies. And they're trying to make it easy on people to understand. Have you ever heard the the nursery rhyme? If it's brown, lie down. If it's black, fight back. Nope. That that's, <laughs> it's more popular in states that have brown bears or grizzly bears. Yeah. Because what they're saying is, if it's a grizzly bear, fight it. Lie down. Yeah. If it's a black bear, you fight back. Right. We're trying. We're trying to debunk that. Uh -huh. Because your reaction to a bear encounter should never be based on what species it is. Your reaction should always be based on the bear's behavior. And there's two, all it takes is a little bit of common sense thinking about it. And that's why I teach those bear classes because it's really simple. There, there's two 
kinds of reactions or interactions you could have with a bear. One is where the bear is going to act defensively, or the other kind is if the bear is acting offensively. So let's start with the defensive reaction. So if, if you surprise a bear, you, you turn the corner of the trail and suddenly you didn't see him, he didn't see mm -hmm. you, and you surprise him 10 feet away. Mm -hmm. The bear is going to want to defend its personal space. Or if you if you stumble upon a blackberry field or say a deer carcass that a bear is feeding on, the bear is going to want to defend its food source. The, the one thing that is probably most well-known is a mother with cubs. Mom is going to want to defend her cubs. So whenever you encounter a bear in a defensive situation, and it's really, I, I could hit home, like when you're out, when Abby was really, really young and there was some threat, there was a dog or something that was coming towards your dog, were you were you likely to run away or defend your dog? Oh, no, I would defend. <laughs> yeah. And so that's this is what bears do. They get defensive. When they're defensive, they get really blustery and loud. So they're going to be doing different behavior. They're going to be popping their jaws. I wish I had like a little puppet or something. <laughs> <laughs> They'll be popping their jaws or like breathing really loud. It's uh, it's called huffing. They'll go. <laughs> and so they're, they're trying to vocalize to say, get away. I'm angry. I'm, I'm upset. Get away from me. Um, sometimes they'll do a bluff charge. But they're going to be really animated. Um, the The funniest thing is when they're upset and nervous because you're too close to them, they lose control of their facial expressions. So sometimes they'll yawn. So imagine you're really close to a bear. And if you're standing with a group of people, all of a sudden the bear yawns because it's nervous. What do you think most people will interpret that? Oh, the bear's tired. Yeah. He just wants to sleep. Yeah. No, the bear's stressed out right now. It, it and I've I've got videos that show that the bear will yawn. Uh, another cool reaction because they lose control of their facial expressions. Sometimes they'll start salivating. Can you imagine being close to the bear and you see a bear start salivating? <laughs> like, oh my god, he wants. <laughs> no, he wants you away from him. So they become very animated. So whether or not they're vocalizing, they're huffing, they're popping their jaws. Um, they might do a bluff charge. All of that is them, the bear's telling you, get away from me, get away from my cubs, get away from my food source, get away from me. And they're putting on a display. So they're loud and animated. You know what you have to do? Yeah. Get, get away. away. <laughs> you slowly back up, talk to them and say, oh, bear, I'm sorry, didn't mean to intrude. They want you gone. They're going to let you get gone because... Right. They don't want to be close to you. You don't want to be close to him. So you just separate and all is well. That's the vast majority of bear encounters mm -hmm. is this defensive situation. You're too close to it or there's food or cubs. Then there's that other, the opposite of defensive is offensive. In an offensive situation, it's a little bit different because the bear, instead of wanting to increase the distance between you and him, they want to get closer. So they smell something. So the, there's kind of two different things that could be happening. They could smell some food in your pack, or they could 
say, hey, the last hiker through gave me a candy bar. I'm going to see if you'll do the same mm -hmm. thing. So they're trying to get closer to you. In the worst case scenario, it doesn't happen much, but it has happened. And unfortunately, it's it's happened in the Smokies mm -hmm. as well. Is it becomes predatory where they see the human as the potential food source. That is not very common. Mm -hmm. um, but what's more common is the bear is trying to get closer to you because he thinks he could get some kind of food out of you, whether or not it's a candy bar or your leg. Um, whenever a bear is trying to get closer, that's an offensive behavior. And they are not going to be loud and blustery. They're going to be sneaky like a cat because they're thinking, ooh, I might get some food. So they'll have their head down low. They're kind of sniffing. They kind of don't let you out of their eyesight because they're trying to figure out if they can get food out of there. Mm -hmm. So th it's real easy. It's I, I know I spoke a lot here, but you have to know, is it a defensive situation or an offensive? If the bears defend, he wants you away. They're going to be loud and blustery. They're going to be huffing, making noise, swatting the ground, bluff charging. Mm -hmm. If they're wanting that food out of you and acting offensively, they're going to be quiet and sneaky and trying to get closer. Right. So with armed with that knowledge, the first thing you do is you recognize what kind of situation you're in, but your reaction is different. Remember I told you what, what would happen if you were with Abby when she was really young and someone's dog that you didn't know started coming up towards Abby. You would be going to fight that dog. Yes. Yes. That's what female bears do. And so th this idea, if it's, a, if it's a black bear, you fight back. <laughs> Not in all situations. In a defensive situation, especially with a mother with cubs, if, if that happens, she just wants that threat to her cubs eliminated. Right. So you try to back out of that situation. Right. If something really bad happened, you you just cover your neck. You might get scratched. You might get bit. But as long as she perceives no threat to her cubs, she usually grabs her cubs and leaves. If you sat there and started fighting her like like you're going to beat her up and then take her cubs, she's going to fight you with all her might. And believe it or not, Meg, there, there's been recent studies. Uh, Janelle Sharhang, she recently... Um, produced a paper where she investigated, oh, I forget the number, but it was hundreds and hundreds of bear attacks, black bear attacks. And what she found was the more you fight back with a black bear, the more serious your injuries are. Huh. And so I had, um, so again, in a defensive situation, just calmly and coolly get yourself out of this. The bear wants you out. Right. But if they were to come at you because you surprised it at too close, Cover up, the bear might bite you, but it wants to get away then. And so if you start fighting it in that situation, it could end up pretty severe for you. Um, however, having said that, anytime a bear is acting offensively and it's looking to you for food, that is when you become the bigger bear. You you say, okay, bear, you, you want to come towards me, I'm going to beat you up or I'm going to, I'll eat you if you think you're going to eat me. So that's where you get really loud. You make yourself big right. and hold your hands up and you scream and yell at that bear to stop them from coming towards you. Right. That's really good information because, as you said, that's not exactly what we've been told. Yeah. And we, we've we talked about this. Yeah. <laughs> now, I understand why some of that information, like that nursery rhyme I told yeah. you, it's brown, brown, brown. 
it's easy to remember. So you can quote unquote educate people in masses because they'll remember. Right. It's probably not the best. It, it takes a little bit more effort to understand what's going on. Right. But your reaction is much better off being behavior based instead of, oh, it's a black bear. I should go fight it. Right. Yeah, that that makes sense. You know, that makes more sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I'm glad we talked about it. It's hard to educate that because you got to get someone and talk them through. And I will tell you, Meg, I've, I've taught a lot of bear safety classes and people get it. As long as they sit there and listen and think about it, it's like, oh, my gosh, just like you said, it makes sense. Right. But it, it's going to take some time. And the vast majority of people don't have or don't want to make available that time to learn. Right. So let me ask you this, because um, I talked to a lot of people who carry bear spray. And before we talk about that, and I don't carry bear spray. Um, I carry something else that I carry. I probably shouldn't say what I carry. I carry a <laughs> taser, not because I'm going to tase the bear, but they don't like that sound. And it, it's kind of the, the same when people carry an air horn. Right. That's what I was going to say. It's kind of this, the same thing as carrying an air horn. But I, my taser is actually a flashlight, too. So, uh, you know, I carry it as a flashlight, but it makes that tasing sound. And they're not used to that sound at all. And they don't like that at all. Yeah. So, um, but, you know, what do you think about bear spray? Bear spray is wonderful. Mm. Now, I... One of the things that irks me to no end, doesn't matter if it's Facebook or just in a group of people, someone will express their fear of bears. And what drives me nuts is when someone else will chime in and say, oh, you don't have to be afraid of, of them. They're, they're not going to do anything. You don't even have to worry about them. That's like, do you have a fear of heights or any? Yeah, I do, actually. <laughs> That's like me telling you, oh, go walk by the edge. You're not going to fall. Don't worry about right. it. Right. It, it does nothing for you. Right. Because you have this fear. So to help those people out, telling them don't worry about it is, is completely useless. Right. So the best thing, the most important tool you carry is this. Yes. Use your brain. Use the information I just gave you about learning bear behavior. Mm -hmm. Because as soon as you recognize, oh, I see that bear is feeding on something over there. I better get away. It it resolves most issues before they ever happen. Mm -hmm. And so your brain is the most important tool. But after that, there there's occasionally some situations that catch you by surprise. Mm -hmm. And so there will be, you, you carry a taser. Some people will say, well, I'll carry a whatever type of gun. People can carry what they want as long as it's legal, but I would always, always, always recommend bear spray because in that one in a million chance, I don't know what it actually is, but in that crazy rare circumstance that a bear comes at you with the bear spray, with the taser, it's got to get really close. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I'm well, not planning on tasing bear. Horn. If the bear decides to ignore the air horn, there's still nothing stopping. Right. Here's why... I think bear spray is so much better than anything else. Some people will swear they'll carry their gun. The thing is, when you use a gun, you're shooting a projectile that's that big. Mm -hmm. And you can, I know lots of people that, miss. and when you're crazy nervous, there's really, really, really good chances you're going to miss. Mm -hmm. 
with air spray, when you spray that, it sends out a cloud. It, it's it's literally sends up a wall of this <clears throat> this pepper spray between you and the bear. We just spent 10, 15 minutes telling you how yep. crazy powerful their nose is. I don't know if you've ever smelled or been sprayed with pepper spray. I've smelled it, yes. Oh my gosh, it's awful. It just you it short circuits you to say, get this away from me. A bear's nose is 2,000 times more sensitive than yours. Yeah. And so it hits that wall. Their brain completely short circuits, and they forget. Now, th there's that one in a million chance that someone still gets injured, but there's been studies done that the bear spray is way more effective than anything else, whether it's a gun. I, I've never seen anything on tasers. But... <laughs> but I'm probably the only one who does that. <laughs> More people come out of a serious bear encounter unscathed when they use mm -hmm. the the bear spray. Now, there's there's a vast difference between bear spray and pepper spray that you buy in Walmart or wherever. Yeah. Um, the bear spray has a propellant, so you can spray it 20 or 30 feet. Um, and so make sure if you want to carry something to protect you from bears get a certified bear spray because it's a it's a different formula and it sprays a lot farther okay. but it's extremely effective and um yeah it's because their nose is so much more sensitive that if you think it's bad to get pepper sprayed yourself yeah it's two thousand times worse for it yeah so i don't know if you can hear these little bells in the background my dog is in here just ringing bells going let me out um, oh, I thought you were demonstrating bear bells. No, yeah. Hey, we could we could talk about those next. Do those really work? Don't don't bother. No. Don't bother. They're not. That, that <laughs> I, I I always say that the only thing bear bells are good for is irritating the person you're hiking with. <laughs> because you that, that, well, especially in your neck of the woods. The reason if everyone's using bear bells, especially where there's a ton of people, yeah, it's going to sound like jingle bells throughout the the, the park. yeah. So the bears get habituated yes. to humans. They, they'll pretty soon learn not to even pay attention yeah. to it. I have found for myself the best thing to scare the bears away. I just start singing. I mean, they run. <laughs> there's There's been studies. Once again, there's been studies done. The human voice is one of the best deterrents when it comes to wildlife. Because sometimes wild animals are always looking for food, especially the predator type animals. And so whether or not it's mountain lions or bears or wolves, or any of those big apex predators, humans are not typically on their menu. Mm -hmm. if, if if they normally preyed on humans, we would, every day we wake up, we'd be reading a long <laughs> list of people that were preying yeah. <laughs> But we're not on their menu. And so because of that, you just talk to it. That instantly gives that animal recognition. It's a human. I better go the other yeah. way. Sometimes you'll hear about people getting stalked by a cougar in the mm, west. We talked we talked about that a little bit. Yeah. But but that's for the most part when that happens, the animal's trying to figure out whether or not you're a predator. Mm -hmm. And so if you're just really quiet and backing away, it's still trying is this something I typically eat? But if you stand there and talk to it and say, Hey, I'm a human, get away it clicks in their mind like, Oh crap, I made a mistake. Yeah. 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 Talk to it, speak to it, whatever you want. Just let them know you're. Yeah. 
So uh, I've got, I, I was going to touch on one more thing, then we're going to leave the subject of bears for a brief second and talk about um, turkeys in a minute. But I did want to address just a little bit some things that people should do that live in neighborhoods where we're starting to see bears show up more and more in subdivision neighborhoods and, you know, typical in a, in a, in a, in a subdivision, people have grills and they're grilling outside. They're starting to do that now here because our weather in Tennessee has been beautiful for the past week or so. Um, and, you know, what kind of things do they need to be aware of, especially if you know that there are some bears around your area? You know, you know a lot of it's common sense, but what kind of things? There's some great resources. There, There's a website. I don't know if it's a website or a Facebook page. Bear Watch. Yes. But it's, it's pretty much how to live in bear country. Yeah. And you're going to hear what every bear education program teaches about making sure you're, they can't get into your trash cans, um, securing your, your grill or wherever you cook. Don't mm -hmm. feed your pets outside. So it's don't give the bear any reason to be around your house right? where they can find food. That I, I will tell you, Meg, that, that's great. But it's not effective because huh. if you, well, think about it. You could do everything right, but what if your next door neighbor has yeah. bird feeder? <laughs> yeah. So unless you have 100% compliance, which we will never, ever, ever have, it's not, it's not going to be super mm -hmm. effective. You're always going to have bears coming in because there's going to be some bozo out there that insists on putting his dog food out. Yeah. So, if you want to live in bear country, do those things. Make sure there's no attractants by your, your home. I take it a step further, and I say, if you love bears as much as I love bears, if you see a bear coming in, do whatever you can to scare it away. Make it feel uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And, and it's, this is hard for people that love bears. But remember I said that a wild bear will live 12, 15 years, but a bear that's around human areas their lifespan is much 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 shorter so if you want that bear to live a long happy healthy life scare it away bang pots and pans use an air horn set off your car alarm yell at it let that bear feel uncomfortable so he doesn't even want to go by your house and if he begins to associate you know every time i go by these these people houses i'm getting yelled at i'm getting um, all these alarms are going off. Hopefully he'll learn over time. Don't even go by the people. Yeah. Houses. And so if we had enough people doing that, we would, yeah. <laughs> that would do more for bears than anything else because it would teach, it would, it would, right now we're trying to teach people how to live in bear country. That would teach bears how to stay out of people. Country. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And unfortunately, in the area where I am, and, and just, well, even a little closer, just outside the National Park, where they have so many rental cabins. So they have, you know, a high rate of turnover every week, possibly every yeah. two or three days. There's new people coming into those cabins who they want to see the bears and they're feeding them. And, you know, and, but if you talk to the, to residents that live on the edge of the park, you know, they'll tell you they don't even put their bird feeders out. You know, they'll put the bird feeders out in the winter and they take, they'll take them back in in the summer because the bears will come in and, and, and get their bird feeders. So, you know, 
it's we see a big problem with it in in the area where I am just just because I think we have such a high turnover of people coming through um, and unfortunately no, it, it happens not just your area but yeah I've, everywhere it's like a, a touristy outdoor destination they all deal with that yeah um, and that's why I think it's maybe we need to start rethinking some of this barrage because it's easier to train bears than it is to train people. <laughs> So yeah. Instead of teaching people to live in bear country, let's teach people. Let's teach bears to yes. stay out of people. Yes. Country. Yeah. That's a that's an interesting statement. It is. I, just so you know, I'm writing this down because when I'm done here, I'm gonna write something. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna say we need a sign or something that we. That's a T-shirt right there. I mean, you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, I'm gonna kind of move us on because oh, well, I wanted. I want to take a second and give you a chance to tell about your book. Um, we yeah. we talk about it, but a lot of times you don't have a copy of it. I forgot to bring it last time. Yeah. Thank, thank you for bringing that up. <laughs> I, I didn't just stay in a Holiday Inn where I just learned all this about bears. <laughs> I actually worked with bears for a long time throughout my career. I, and I wrote a book. I don't know if it's back It's Spooning a Bear. But when, when I started my career... <laughs> I was working at a place called the Appalachian Bear Center, which is now the Appalachian Bear Rescue. Yes. Um, and so the National Park Service, Great Smoky Mountain National Park, and the Tennessee Wildlife Resources Agency would bring me orphan cubs. We would raise them behind blinds, no human contact whatsoever, to release them back into the wild. And so for years and years, I took care of these bears. I was with them every day, so learning their behaviors and how they react. And so I've probably seen more bears than the average person. <laughs> I, mean, I guarantee I've seen more bears than the average person. And so the, the book is just a lot of different fun stories of crazy bear encounters I've had or different situations I got myself into. <laughs> I'm still here, so apparently I got myself out yeah. of it. <laughs> well, I, I want to say I have read the book and it is it is enjoyable and, you know, not only are the stories interesting and you see your personality come through in that book, but in the middle of these stories, you'll take this nerd break. I think you call, and you'll like, you'll kind of explain kind of the way we're talking now. You'll explain some of the terminology. And um, so when a person reads this book, they're not just hearing these great stories. They are actually learning some science behind what we see and what you teach about black bears. But then at the end of each story, you kind of tie it into a, a life lesson, what that bear has taught you or what that encounter with those bears have taught you about life. And I love yeah. that part because you, you tie it all back into. Yeah, and it's amazing, Meg, you know, too, with as much time as you spend out in nature, mm -hmm. you can learn so much by just observing. Nature, Absolutely. Not a bear or just going out on the trail, it, it just, it explains a whole lot of things. And, and it's a, being outdoors is, is definitely good for the soul. Absolutely. And, um, so. and you mentioned the, the Appalachian Bear Rescue. And I, I did want to kind of talk on this just a little bit because we have, or you have, we have created an email address where people can email us if they have questions. Uh, particular questions they want us to answer or they want me to ask you and you answer. Um, yep. And so, 
or if they have topics that they want us to discuss, particular wildlife topics. But one of the questions that, that I received was, how do they rehabilitate these bears hands off so that they can be released back into the wild? Most of the times, whenever there is an orphaned or injured cub or yearling, by the time they make it to the center, they're already weaned. Now, you know what it means? To yes. Be, it means you're off mother's Yes. Back. And so they already know what to eat and how to eat. And so whenever these orphaned cubs or yearlings come in, we put them into this facility. Well, I don't do it anymore, but at ABR they do it. They'll put them into this facility, oftentimes with other bear cubs, mm -hmm. and they provide food, but it's an all-natural setting as natural as they can make it. In fact, when I was there, each of the bear pens was a half acre in size. So it had trees, bushes, dams, mm -hmm. just all sorts of things that mimicked a natural environment. And the way that we used to feed them, and I think they still do, is it's pretty much mostly all natural food. So lots of berries and fruits and acorns and nuts. Um, and when we feed them, they would pretty much just throw the food over the fence. Mm -hmm. And so it scatters everywhere throughout that facility. And so when a when that cub wakes up and wants to eat, it's got to forage. It's got to look and find food and eat it. And so it's just reinforcing their wild yeah. instincts yeah. to look for food in the woods and, and eat that way. And so pretty much all the bear center does, it provides a safe environment for that bear to heal and overcome what, whether or not it has injuries or if it's underweight and malnourished in order for it to grow to the size it should be. And then as soon as it's healed or of sufficient weight, they turn it back loose in the wild because that's where they do better. They actually released two within this last week. Yeah, um, I saw that. Yeah. That's pretty cool. So um, you kind of mentioned that most of them are weaned when they come in. What if one is not? And you know they got they have to handle it. it, it it's yeah. definitely a lot harder. I had I had three cubs when I was working there. This was back in the late '90s. Um, three cubs that came in from North Carolina that were only uh, about a week or two old, and so they're they're wow. tiny cubs. Mm -hmm. So they had to be bottle fed. What we do or we try to do when you when you get cubs that young, typically the wild bears are still in their den during their hibernation. What we're able to do, and the best option for it, is to find a wild bear, mm. mother bear that has just given birth, and you can foster out one of those cubs to to her. Remember, she's doing quite a bit of sleeping, and so she'll wake up occasionally and and like lick the cub, mm -hmm. or roll over, or do whatever. But she's out of it for a good part of that time, yeah. and the cubs are just nursing off of her, getting bigger and stronger. Yeah, and so. With the University of Tennessee, with the National Park Service, with TWRA, they, lots of them have done bear studies. So if they know of a female bear that has just given mm. birth, we can foster out one of those neonatal mm -hmm. cubs to that female bear. That's the best option. You're sneaking one on. If you can't do it, if you can't do it, it gets exponentially more difficult. Yeah. Because if you do have to bottle feed them, they'll try to use puppets <laughs> where they, they will actually just try to reduce the likelihood of that bear imprinting right. on humans, but it's really hard. Yeah. So 
the best option is to foster them out to a female bear in the wild, or hopefully once they're weaned, just get them with their own kind and eliminate all human. Contact. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, we're going to move on from bears to, okay. we were talking about, that was a question that we had gotten and we, we got another question about turkeys. Um, oh. and I, I had, um, this person wanted to, for us to just discuss some of the behavior of turkeys. She said she was seeing a lot of strange turkey behavior in her backyard. <laughs> and, yeah. um, and, and it's, I, it's... I think I told you going into the park, I guess probably every time I have gone into the park for the last two weeks, I have had a standoff with a tom turkey in the middle of the road. And yesterday I was in the park and this this tom turkey was standing on the side of the road. Car in front of me went by and he, of course, fanned his tail feathers out. And, and then when the car got by, he put them back down. And then as soon as my car got there, he fanned him out again. And he was right on the edge of the road. And I was a little worried. I thought, he needs to back away. But I didn't see the hens anywhere. I don't know where they were, but he was, they were not happy. I mean, they yeah. were, they were defending their, protecting their, their females, I guess. He was acting like a guy. Yeah, that's what I was trying not to say. And, and, but. And so that, that relates back. I think the reason we got that turkey question is because you're seeing turkeys do a lot of this mating behavior yeah. right now. This is the time of the year. Yeah. And so very much like bears, they have a specific time in which they breed. And with turkeys, it's usually that early springtime. And so nowadays, uh, usually around in the southeast where you're at, you're looking at around early March, you'll see the a lot more turkeys show up in the open fields, especially the male baton turkeys. And they'll fan out their tail feathers. They'll, they'll gobble. I'm not going to pretend I know how to do a gobble. <laughs> And, strut. and they're more or less putting themselves on display for the hens to show where they're at. Usually the hens will come seeking them. Um, and so they're really just trying to put on a performance. Mm -hmm. And sometimes those, those turkeys, a lot of times what happens, Meg, with vehicles, because a lot of times the turkeys will go right up to a vehicle. Yeah. Oftentimes there's hubcaps involved where they see a reflection. <gasps> And they'll see another turkey. Yeah. Um, and so bird, birds do it all the time where they're drawn to a mirror of some sort because they think it's another bird. Right. And so because these turkeys don't fly much, turkeys can fly, just so you know. They don't fly much. But because they're low to the ground, a lot of times they'll see a reflection in a hubcap of some sort. And they just think another turkey's there and then they'll go peck at it. But um, yeah, this time of the year is when turkeys are in full strut, full display, trying to attract the females. And then once they breed, the the hen turkeys are going to find a, a nest or create a nest on the ground and hopefully raise anywhere from 8 to 12 turkey poults. But we talked about this. Everything loves the taste of turkey. So yeah. it's, it's a really hard life. Really hard life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um. That's all my questions that I have today, but I do want us to throw out there the email address so that. What is it? I don't know. <laughs> I was hoping you knew. It is wildlifeforyoupodcast <laughs> at gmail.com. 
Does that sound that right? sounds right. We're just creating it for this person. Yes. But yeah, I think that's a wildlife for you podcast at gmail. I think that's correct. Yes. And so it's all spelled out. Um, I won't spell it out in its entire entirety, but uh, give it a shot and and uh, hopefully if you get through, send us a question, a topic, anything like that. We will address it on a future episode. Yeah. Yeah. So. All right. I'll leave this guy for another time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, all right, folks. Uh, thanks for tuning in. I, I hope we're able to splice this one together. Yeah. Sorry for the technical de- difficulties, but uh, we'll see how it turns out. And hopefully we'll be joining you again very, very soon. Yeah, hope so. <laughs> all right. Now I can't. There we go. <laughs>